Thank you very much. To encourage Pippa, where's she gone? Oh, there she is. The message that I was talking about here this morning about Joseph, he, he, he didn't bang his head just, he went to prison on his way to his destiny. And it looked like a real dead end, but uh, it opened the door. You, we'll never live a successful life for Christ without some pain, some limitation, questions we can't answer, and changing to become a different person. Because God is like the hound of heaven. He won't give up on his plan to make you like himself. And he uses all the vicissitudes of life, including all the sort of stuff that you talked about. You'd never have come to love people with mental health if you hadn't gone through what you went through. And that's the way the Lord does it over and over and over again in so many of our lives. So if you want to, to know what your next step is, that's what I talked about this morning. There'll be a podcast there. You can, I'm not going to preach that message. because I, I want to say to all the people who are here this morning, I've got something different to talk to them about. And those of you who weren't here this morning, you can listen to that anyway, can't you? When, if you choose. So that's up to you. So I want to talk about three things. Yes. <laughs> and before we talk about any of them, England won the World Cup, guys, or girls. <laughs> In, in overtime, we, we, we like doing things in a dramatic way, don't we? Yeah. Very nerve-wracking. You can tell I'm, I'm an old guy, so there's no point trying to pretend that I'm young and trendy because it really does look stupid, and I've made that comment before. So I'll accept that you're all young and know nothing, and I'm an old guy and know just about the same. <laughs> so I'll be me and you be you, and we'll, we'll all be right, and we'll, we'll be done in time. One of the things that greatly bothers me, as I've observed in, in my life of Christian service over a lot of decades now, is the number of people that don't keep going. They start in a blaze of glory that they're going to give their lives to, to God and they're going to serve him in this and that way and whatever. And th this is, I'm not just talking about people who go into what we call full-time Christian service. I don't like that phrase. Because once you have surrendered your life to Christ, we're all full-time Christians. Whatever we do outside of that is the ordinary part of outworking, being full-time Christians. Whether you're a pharmacist or a doctor or a nurse or a mother or a dustbin man, it, it, that, that part's not the most important. It's that you're a follower of Jesus, yes? And people who set out on that path... and Particularly, actually, it's true of those that front up for what we call full-time Christian service. By the time they get to the age that I am, there's less than 10% of the people who started out are still serving the Lord. That's a terrifying idea, isn't it? Nearly all of you are young. There are a few of us who have got a few gray hairs. And, uh, but the majority of you, you wouldn't be here tonight if you thought that your life was going to end up that you would be part of the 90% who either weren't in church or sat in the back row disaffected and really fed up with the whole thing and only, only turned up because you're hoping to get to heaven. That would be terrible from, from where you sit today, I would imagine, for the majority of them. Those of you searching for, for, for a true meaning to your lives, well, you wouldn't want to be associated with people who front up for something and say it's the best thing since sliced bread and when it gets tough, they quit. That's not the game we're playing, is it? So that's, that's the sort of thing that bothers me. And I, I try to help Christian leaders. Some of the things that are natural 
and some of the things is deeply spiritual uh, as to why people don't keep going. Some people don't learn a proper rhythm in their lives. And to a certain degree, you can get away with it when you're young. Some, some people can, not all, all can. But um, you've got to learn to live in a sustainable rhythm in your life. Uh, if you watch creation, how God orders things, it, uh, you can't go for 20 hours every day. It doesn't work. You say, but I can, when I'm young, but it doesn't work because you're never going to be your best. So there's, there's some natural things. I was talking to a national leader just two weeks ago in my garden, uh, and he said, Pooh, it's a busy season. People use this sort of language, season. Well, if a season's six months or a year, or two years or five years, it's not a season. It's a way of life. If it's three months, it's a season. If it's a moment of stress and pressure, we can cope with it. But if you've got your life set up in such a way, and he said to me, it really is a season, and for him, thankfully, it is a season, and I shall ask him about it in a little while as to whether it was when he's had a holiday, and that man knows I will ask him, because uh, I ask him things too. He said, some days, the hectic days, the 20-hour days, I said, you must stop it. Even in the busy season, you can't sustain that sort of life. And you'll be drained of your spiritual energy, then you can't give your best, and then you don't feel good, and so on and so on and so on, and you empty out. Burnout is actually not doing too much. It's trying to give people something when you're empty. So these things are a big concern for me. So three words, three little ideas I want to briefly share with you. One is about standing up. We have to learn how to stand up. Did your mother ever say to you, particularly you lads, you, know, you you're growing up, come on, stand up and put your shoulders back, boy. What does it mean to stand up when the Bible tells us to stand up? Second idea is that we need to learn to build something. We need to build. And the third thing is, how do we, in the light of, oh, that verse that's up there that you can't see yet, how do we learn to take hold of the purpose of our lives so that we're still running fast when we're old? So let's, let's start at the beginning. We're going to stand up. We're not going to stand up and stand up. We're going to stand up in the Bible. This is what Ezekiel says in chapter 2. Verse 1, he said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. Yes, sir. You know, it's a, a bit of a, be alert, be fully present. Stand up, I, I want to say something to you. And he spoke, well, as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, he told, tells him the message he's got to go on. Tell the people, you can read more of it for yourself. And it included the idea that when he went with the message, the people might not listen, but that wasn't his issue. His issue was to stand up and be obedient to what God told him to do. The outcomes of, of what happen when you're obedient aren't your business. They're God's in terms of his work. So you leave that stuff with him. So what does that look like to stand up? I think there's two parts to this. There's the... The actual determination in who we are as people that we're going to stand up for what we believe. Yes? We're not going to 
just slouch by and we're not just going to be silent in the moment when things need to happen. I had an email come from CSW, which is Christian Solidarity Worldwide, an advocacy, Christian advocacy program for people in persecution. I had one this week. I used to be on the board of that organization and they were saying, will you please send an email to the governor of one of the provinces of, of uh, Mexico? And they named a little boy, Kevin, I think he was called, who'd been driven away from his home by religious persecution, as is happening to numbers of people in that part of the world. Uh, persecution of Christians is quite widespread in the world. Uh, will you write to the governor and say, you know, this just isn't good enough. This little boy, is, they had to leave everything, and he hasn't got any certificates or any pieces of paper because they left in a hurry just to save their lives. He can't go back because he'll get killed, and he can't go to school, so he's not having an education. And that's against the laws of all the countries in the world have signed up to uh, FORB, what it's called, Freedom of Religious Beliefs, and uh, the Rights of the Individual. So what do, I, what do I do? Get this email? I've got things to do. No, no, I'm, I want to put my name to it. I'm going to, send this, I'm going to send this email, which I've done, to the governor. I want to join, whether it's 10 or 1,000 or 20,000 people who make sure that this man, who doesn't think he's a center of, of people knowing around the world what's going on, that he needs to do something. In other words, we, we determine ourselves that we're going to stand up. Yes? Now, for some of you, that, that this is a bit of a, bit of a squeaky, squeaky idea because you've grown up in a society that, as I said this morning, has relative moral values and what you believe is as important as what she believes and he believes and it's all going to pan out in the end. No, it ain't. There are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong according to a Christian view. And we have a responsibility to stand up in the face of some of these things. Some people do that by aligning themselves politically and other, other people use different ways of standing up in their lives for the things that are important. And it's interesting that as he is told to stand up, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. In other words, be attentive. I don't know why I would tell you this story. I've told it before, I'm sure. Um, Jimmy Carter, when he was a young naval cadet and graduate of the naval school there were 800 and something young men and women in his teaching class and he came in the top 50 or 60 and he was quite proud that he'd done that well in the top 10 percent and and he went for his interview with the vice admiral and he thought he was going to say to him well well done carter and you know what the admiral said to him carter and he probably was stood in front of him because that's the way you would stand in front of an admiral Carter, did you do your best? And he knew there were lots of days he hadn't done his best. Some days he did. And he couldn't answer him properly. Doing your best is standing up. Living your life to the fullest of your capacity. Maintaining that dignity in the person you, you are as a child of God. And interestingly, as you make that commitment to obey God and stand up, he says, the Spirit came upon me and raised me to my feet. In other words, as you determine to do the right thing and be a Christian witness in whatever way it is God calls you to be, 
the Spirit of God comes into you and empowers you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. Lots and lots of years ago, we were doing some evangelism in the French-speaking part of Switzerland, up in the mountains. It was very beautiful. We went over there a few summers and took some teams of young people. And I remember we were going around some of the mountain villages, very small populations, mountain villages, and we'd get the guitar out and sing a few songs and somebody preached the gospel. And uh, there were some local French-speaking people there who were trying to evangelize the area. And in one of those little villages, I remember it really clearly, an old lady, quite old actually, came out and stood and listened to this open air. And she said, oh, thank you for coming. She said, I've waited 50 years to hear this message. She must have heard it when she was young. And then in a Catholic majority situation where there was not real talk about salvation, in the sense of a conversion experience and repentance. She'd have waited 50 years. And in one of those open airs, the police showed up because somebody also didn't like it and complained that these people, including some foreigners, were preaching and singing in the street of our village, causing disturbance to the peace. And uh, the police came. And uh, what's all this going on? And they arrested the man who was leading the team, the French guy from one of the towns in that part of French-speaking Switzerland. And in that moment, I had a boldness I didn't realize I had. I mean, I'm not a shy person, but man, I lied. I said, just a minute. You know, I was speaking English because my French is not that good. Uh, if you're taking him to the prison, I'm going too. Well, they, they didn't like the idea of taking somebody who wasn't a local. I mean, that would get in the press, wouldn't it? They put foreigners in the prison for playing a tune in the street. <laughs> but what am I saying? Because you're prepared to stand up, the Spirit of God empowers you. I've known that experience many, many times when I would or should have been afraid. God gives us strength. If we want a New Testament parallel to this idea, when we, uh, when we think about the spiritual armor in Ephesians. He said, finally be strong in the law. That's standing up, isn't it? And then later on he says, therefore put on the whole or full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, what's the next bit? To stand. So you stand, you put on the whole armor so that to make you able to stand. And when you've done all your standing, when you've done everything you should do, including standing, what's the final advice? Stand. So I think he's trying to make the point that we should stand, that we should not give in to the enemy's devices. My wife and I pray over our family pretty well every day. And uh, and the only days we don't is if I'm out before she's out of bed and that sort of thing. You understand what I mean? Um, and we pray against the arguments and the pretensions and the things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God in all the people, including ourselves in our lives. We stand and we stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled. And so it goes on to speak. So if you still want to be standing and continuing your faith, learn how to stand up now. Make some decisions about what you believe in and what you're going to stand for and see the Spirit of God help you stand up.
in that journey of faith. The second thing I'm talking to you about is what it says in Isaiah in the last chapter, verse 1. This is what the Lord says, Heaven and earth is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me and where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, the last chapter of Isaiah. Where is the house? Now, the Old Testament is, there's a big story about where God dwelt. You know, the, 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 David was always on about the tent. And before that, they had the tent in the wilderness. And God said, I've never asked for a, a building. And it became an issue as to building a place because all the nations around them would build sumptuous buildings for their gods. And so the people wanted to build something that glorified the Lord God Almighty. And he said, well, what kind of house are you going to build for me? If the heaven of heavens can't contain what I'm doing, you're not going to build anything suitable for me, are you? And then, so that's the Old Testament again. The New Testament view of that verse is in Acts chapter 7. The man who said this in quoting the Old Testament in his uh, talk, a man called Stephen, he really did stand up for his faith. Because when he finished his talk, they stoned him to death. So that really was standing up, wasn't it? However, he says, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house? It's not where will it be, but what kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord. So as well as standing up, I think all of us need to think through the idea of what it means to build. You build your life. What you build it on and what you build it to be filled with. Now, when you start to think about this in the context of the wider interpretation of the Bible, it, what it literally means is the life you're going to build because our bodies are the temple of God, yes? So what sort of life are you going to build? What are you going to build that God can live in? Those of us who have families... I have spouses and, and then children. What kind of family are you going to build? What kind of church community are you going to build? What, what are the Christians in this town all together going to look like? Because he only has one church. What sort of life are we going to build? Where are the principles for what it should look like? Pippa, you should never ever allow yourself to feel the one left out. Because the Bible says before you were born, God knew your name and he called you. He says you're special. So never let any circumstance, even if you're not great at sport and maybe on a Christian day, you know, you have some fun and you know, have people all stood up and you get left last again and you go, oh, here we go again. I'm back in the pharmacy interviews. I'm the last in the line. Did anybody at school get left to be last when they were picking out Oh, he, that team, him for that team, her for that team, him for the, and then there's two, two or three little weedy kids at the end. <laughs> what a rotten way of doing stuff. That's not, that's not fair, is it? We need to understand that God, he doesn't see any of us as left out or left over. People say, oh, my family said to me I wasn't important. They didn't, I was I was an afterthought. You weren't an afterthought. You might have been an afterthought to your parents. You might not have been loved by your parents, or you may have had a wonderful childhood. 
the ultimate reality of all of that is much, much deeper. That before God even started with the world, he'd already got a list of everybody's names. I mean, it's awe-inspiring, isn't it? So nobody can say we're unwanted. Before he made the world, he knew your name. Read Isaiah 49. It's a fantastic little story. And when I talk about what kind of house are you going to build, nothing to do with the color of the outside. It's to do with the man inside. And it needs, and the Lord said this to me a long time ago, and I don't want to dwell here, but I do need to say it. It needs to be touched by a sense of greatness. Because whatever plan you've got for your life, and anybody else in the room, whatever plan you've got, it ain't as good as the one God's got. So stop fighting him to get your life to be the way you want it to be. Because if you've called Jesus Lord, there's no way you can say no. Like Paul did in Acts 9, touched by a sense of greatness that the God of eternity has got a plan for my life. I'm going to cooperate with him and build something dynamic and wonderful and useful for him. Yes? It has to be touched by greatness. It has to be changed by grace. It's the grace of God that comes to us and helps us come out of our whatever it is. Your perfectionism. Your whatever, whatever, whatever. To say, Lord, help me to become the person. You've put all the things inside me that you want me to reveal a personality. But it needs to be filled with you. Yes? And for it to be filled with him, it has to be changed. So when he fills it, it looks like him. Yes? As the great Christians of the past said, image Deo. So what are we going to build? Now, if you read in Acts chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a bit of a clue there. He talks about everybody builds something. And the storms of life come to everybody. And those who build their lives on sand, in other words, what foundations are we building our lives on? That when the troubles of life come, all that we built is washed away. But he said... The difference between those who build something that lasts in the storms and tests of life and those who build something that just gets washed away is this simple statement. He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house upon the rock. I said it this morning in a different context. One of the greatest secrets you'll ever learn is the only thing you have to do in following Jesus is to keep obeying him. Just keep doing what he tells you to do. It, it's not sexy a lot of the time. Because as I walked in from the car park, and I don't really want to tell the story in the sense, I don't, for credit, because there's no such thing as credit in that situation. I parked my car there, and I was told this morning to come in the back door, and there was some rubbish in the back car park. Oh, I could easily walk by and left it, couldn't I? But as I walked by, I just felt that little prompt. Just pick that up, David. You say, what's that got to do with it? It's, it's just that, that moment of obedience. Before I came out this morning, you don't take offerings in this church, but I put some money in my pocket because I didn't know whether I'd need it. And I had a conversation with somebody in one of the services and had some challenges going on. 
And, and I said, go home and tell your mother this is how the Lord provides. And I gave him the mo- some of the money I had in my pocket because I'd been obedient at home and put a note in my pocket. It's, it's that simple, isn't it? You're building your life on solid rock. And when the storms come, you'll keep standing if you hear his word and put it into practice. Every day, in every situation, you'll often fail. Just get up, dust your knees and say, didn't do too good there, Lord, help me again. And he'll help you stand and his spirit will come into you again. So what are you trying to build? Jeremiah, I love the idea of Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. In the opening chapter, and when I was a very young Christian, as a young boy, before the Lord even spoke to me about the things I spoke about this morning. The Lord talked to me from Jeremiah about him being called by God for his purposes. And he said, you've got to tear things down and you've got to, you know, all the things that you disagree with. And I tear it all. You think, yeah, I'm up for this. I was young and aggressive and full of vigor. He said, but I want you to plant and build. And we all need to learn if we're going to get in the building business, in our lives, in our relationships, in all that we're on with. We've got to learn to have a positive mentality about stuff in life. Sometimes we have to tear things down in our own lives and and around our lives. But the only reason we're tearing stuff down is that we can plant and build. We're looking to plant and we're looking to build in every situation. Uh Uh-huh. If you want to find encouragement coming your way, just keep giving it away. Plant plant, plant, give seed away, give kindness away, give whatever you've got away and watch God bring it all back. So the second word is, as well as standing, we've got to learn to build the right way on obedience to Christ. Then our lives will be touched by greatness, changed by grace, and filled with his presence, and people will go, wow, I met Christ in a young lady today and it was you and the final thing from Philippians which is where I started and as with lots of these talks you don't get there quickly enough but never mind that's all right chapter 3 verse 12 not that I have already obtained all this this was the apostle Paul This, this was one of the big hitters of our of our show there ain't many done better than this guy uh huh So if we're in the comparison league, whether I didn't get a job out of nine, well, we're talking about a few million here, and this guy's at the top of the list. And he had to come to the same situation that you did, Pepper, that while he was eminently capable and had proved his zealousness for the Jewish faith, and he talks about all those things, and he had the right breeding, and he had the right training, he had to recognize in this scripture that it was like dung, and it literally does mean that. All that stuff meant nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. There we go again with your little talk. Made perfect. None of us are going to be made perfect in this context. Something might happen in the future which gives us a better shot at it, but at the moment... We're all going to fail, and the sooner we realize it, the sooner we'll fail less. (laughs) True? Because we'll be more dependent on Him. 
Not that I've already obtained all this, already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And he says some other things about forgetting what's behind him, straining for what's ahead. There's lots of things we could talk about in the context, but the time's gone because we promised we'd be finished by quarter past. So I have to just say to you, what does this word mean? I'll pick you this time. Is that all right? I don't, I don't suggest, because you don't look like that sort of boy, that you've ever had a policeman get you by the collar on a dark night and say, hey, Sonny, what's happening? You don't have to answer this question. <laughs> Just in case there's a dark side there. That <laughs> We've, some people have had their collar felt, yes? And what that means is, that wherever you thought you were going later this evening, you ain't going there now because you've had your collar felt. In other words, in the proper language, you have been arrested. You got those drugs in your pocket and blah, 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 blah and, or whatever it is. Or that, that boy around at the nightclub, you know, he's got a broken face and you smacked him. So you're coming with me, Sonny. That's the language of being taken hold of. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I go, what? Me? Christ Jesus arrested me. He came and said, you're not going where you want to go. You're going where I want you to go because I've got a better plan for your life. And once you realize the inestimable privilege of being arrested by Jesus, there's nothing will stop you seeking to take hold of that for which he took hold of you. And when you're 76 like I am, you'll still be full of passion, full of enthusiasm, full of excitement, because you can't get over the incredible wonder that Christ has taken hold of your life to make of it what you couldn't make of it yourself. Amen.